I want to start in Second Samuel and chapter 23. Second Samuel, chapter number 23. I want to leave you with this thought this week in Second Samuel 23. Now, these are the last words of David. In verse 1 of chapter 23 of Second Samuel, the Bible said, Now these be the last words of David. And then David will talk for a little bit. And then in verse 8, he'll start out with what the Bible calls David's mighty men. And he'll give us a list of them. And they are some interesting fellows in this, amongst these mighty men. And we could go down through and we'd read about Adino. We'd read about Eliezer. We'd read about Shama. We'd read about three unnamed men who broke through the host of the Philistines and brought David a drink from the well of Bethlehem. And we'd read about Zariah. We'd read about Benaiah who went down in a valley and, or in a pit and slew a lion in a time of snow. He, too, he slew two lion-like men of Moab and he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. The writer of the Chronicles tells us the man was seven foot tall and he had a spear and Benaiah had a staff and Benaiah uh, killed that man and took the spear away. And he goes through, he tells us about an unusual man by the name of Hittai. And if you study Hittai, he has his father's not mentioned, like most of them are mentioned. His town is not mentioned. His city is not mentioned. His tribe is not mentioned. But it said he's he's of the brooks of Gaash. And the word Gaash means a tumult. And so I think something happened at the brooks of Gaash that changed his life that he never got over. You remember when something happened in your life that you never got over? The Lord Jesus came. He caused a tumult, didn't he? (laughs) But anyway, we go through. I want to read the, the last verse of this chapter. It'll be the beginning of our text tonight. In verse 39, here is the last man mentioned in the list of David's mighty men. Look what it said. Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. Now, when I read the name Uriah the Hittite, You remember, this is not the first time we've heard about him when we read our Bible, right? Now, this is written after what we're, or or excuse me, this is written, what what he's making reference to is actually written or making reference to something that happened before what we're going to read in 2 Samuel 11. But here he tells us that Uriah the Hittite is one of his mighty men. Now, remember what the mighty men did. The mighty men came to David when he was in the time of his rejection and joined to him, and he became their captain. And they risked their lives for David to make sure that the will of God was accomplished in his life. The writer of the Chronicles tells us that they knew that David was anointed to be king by God, and they wanted the will of God to be done in his life. And so they risked their lives for David to make sure that the will of God was accomplished. Uriah was one of those men. Now look back in Second Samuel 11. And watch what the Bible said. You're familiar with this. Verse 1, And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle. David is now the king. At the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. They destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, David's mighty man? And David sent messengers and took her, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness. Now, what will happen is she'll send a message to David. She'll say, I'm with child. 
David will call Uriah home from the battle. He'll tell him to go home to his wife. Uriah does not go home to his wife. So David writes a letter. Tell, and in the letter, we, we could read a little bit later, it says this. It says, he wrote a letter in verse 15, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. And he rolls up that letter and seals it with the king's seal, and hands it to Uriah, and sends him to Joab, carrying his death warrant. I want to preach a little while on this man, Uriah. And I want to title this message tonight, Does It Matter? If I am faithful, does it matter if I am faithful? Let's let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. And we pray you'll help us now in these next few moments. And I pray, Lord, you'll be glorified. And I pray that, Lord, we will be edified and helped in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You'd be seated. I want us to think about Uriah for a moment for this reason. Somewhere along in your life, here's what's going to happen. Somewhere along the way, you're going to get hurt. Somewhere along the way, you're going to get disappointed. Somewhere along the way, someone that you trusted is going to let you down. Somewhere along the way, something that you expected and thought sure would happen will not happen. Or something that you never dreamed would happen in your life will happen. And it will break your heart. And you know what the devil will say? You wasted your time serving God. He'll say, oh, you were faithful, but it didn't matter. Maybe sometime the man of God will let you down. I, I, I have a lot of confidence in your pastor. I love him. I thank the Lord for him. I believe he loves God. He stays in his Bible. And I don't ever expect him to let you down. But sometime the man of God may let you down. Sometime your husband, lady, may let you down. Sometime your wife may let you down. Sometime somebody you had great confidence in going to let you down. And when it does, the devil's going to come along and say, See there? You were a fool. You were a fool to sacrifice. You were a fool to be faithful. Sometimes you're going to pour your heart and your life into someone and they're going to turn around and stab you in the back. And the devil's going to say, boy, weren't you foolish to love them? Weren't you foolish? I put it like this. Sometimes we'll take our heart and we'll give it to somebody and they'll cut it up in little pieces and hand it back to you. And the devil come knocking on your door and he'll say, look at you, look at you, what a fool you are. You were faithful and they were unfaithful. You were honest and they were dishonest. You were kind and they were unkind. You put your confidence in them and look what they did to you. And weren't you a fool to be faithful? And here's what he'll say. He'll say your faithfulness didn't count. Your faithfulness did not matter. Well, Uriah can help us with that tonight. And I want us to think about him for a moment. I want to say three things about him to begin with. First of all, if we were to take Uriah and use one word to describe how he lived, what would that word be? I believe it would be the word faithful. And here's why I would say that. Because Uriah is off fighting the battle. David has committed adultery with Uriah's wife. David calls him back from the battle. And here's what he said to Uriah. We didn't read, take time to read all this. But he said, you go home to your wife. Now, why did David say that? Because David wants Uriah to go home so that when the baby is born, David could say, now, you remember Uriah came home from the battle. Remember that? And he can, and they can cover up this sin that they have committed. David wants to cover it up. Now, here's my question. Would David have used that deception? Would that have been David's plan if he thought Uriah would come home from the battle and go running around and go carousing? No, he he believed Uriah would go home. You know why? Because he had a testimony as a family man. He had a testimony as a faithful husband. I believe he was faithful to his wife. Not only was he faithful to his wife, he was faithful to his king. 
When David called him, he came. And then when David handed him that letter, that letter, that death warrant, when he handled it, handed it to Uriah and Uriah headed off, that's, that's that letter. When, jo- when Joab opens it, he's going to read to set Uriah in the forefront of the battle, the hottest part of the battle where the valiant men are and then retire from him, let him die. David could not have given that letter to Uriah if David had any inkling that Uriah would look at that letter. So he trusted Uriah. So he was faithful to his king. And he was faithful to his commander. Because Joab is going to put him in the most dangerous place. Now here's a question. How does Joab know where the most dangerous place in the battle is? Well, he's a veteran soldier. He fought a lot of battles. He could look at, he could look at a city and say, you know, I remember a city just like this. I remember a wall just like that. I remember a parapet just like that. I remember what happened. I remember how dangerous it was right there. So he knows where the most dangerous place is, where the valiant men are, where the hottest part of the battle. He knows that because he's a veteran soldier. Joab does. But you know what? Uriah's not a raw recruit. Uriah's been in a lot of battles. Uriah's a veteran soldier. He was one of those mighty men. So if Joab knows where the most dangerous part of the battle is, then Uriah must also know where the most dangerous part is. But I don't read him, I don't read him balking at this order. I don't read anywhere he said, I ain't going up there, man. I get killed up there. Don't send me up there. I don't read that. You know why? He was faithful to his commander. And he was faithful to his God. You know why he didn't go home when David called him? He tells us why. He tells us in verse number 11 of Second Samuel 11, he said, And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. Now listen to what he said. He said the ark. That's the first thing he mentioned. He said the ark is out there on the battlefield. What did the ark represent to every Israelite? He rep- The ark represented the presence of God. If you had the ark, you had the presence of God. So basically what Uriah is saying to David is God is out there on the battlefield fighting the battle with my comrades, and I'm not going home to my wife when there's a battle going on and God is out on the battlefield. He was faithful to his God. He's a faithful man. That's how we describe him. But you know what one word we would use to describe how he looks in this passage? He looks foolish. So what do you mean he looks foolish? Well, the wife that he was faithful to committed adultery with the king that he was faithful to. And the commander that he was faithful to sent him to his death. And what about God? How come God didn't step in and say, you know, I got this faithful man down here. I'm not going to let him suffer this. I'm not going to let him to be used like this. I'm not going to let them do this to him. How come God didn't do that? You say, well, preacher, you shouldn't talk about God like that. Well, let me just say this to you. When your heart is broken, that's what the devil's going to say to you. That's what some lost people are going to say to you. That's what those that represent the devil are going to say. They're going to say, oh, look at you. You trusted them. They broke your heart. Where's that God the preacher preached about? Where's that God they talked about? Where's that God of comfort? Where's that God of help? Where's that God of wisdom? Where's that God of care? Hey, where's your shepherd anyway? That's what he's going to say. Where's God? Why didn't God step in and stop this? Well, let's think about this a moment. Here we have a man who's been faithful. And they have 
taken advantage of him. And it looks like maybe his faithfulness was a waste of time. It looks like maybe his faithfulness did not count. But I want to, I want to look at this man just a little closer and I want to give you three reasons tonight why his faithfulness did count. Why was it important that Uriah was faithful? And why is it important that we're faithful even when it seems like it did not make any difference? Even when it appears that way, is it important for us to remain faithful unto God? Well, there's three reasons. Number one, you say, preacher, did my faithful matter and does my faithfulness matter it does number one because of grace your faithfulness matters because of the grace of God now who are we talking about Uriah the what the Hittite who were the Hittites you know what they were the Hittites were part of the Canaanites you remember back in Genesis God told Abraham I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a uh, Abram was his name that time Genesis I think it's chapter 15 he said I'm going to give you uh, the land of the Hittites it might be chapter 17 there's the Canaanites there's the Gergesites and the Perizzites and all those ites in that land and the Hittites were part of that land you know it's interesting for years archaeologists and scientists said the Bible is wrong because we can't find any Hittites anywhere we can't find any trace of them and the Bible is wrong and then lo and behold one our archaeologist one day was digging up some diggings and guess what he found he found the remains of a Hittite civilization and once again science caught up with the Bible seemed like science always getting behind the Bible and then sooner or later it catches up but the Hittites were a people and in in Canaan and when God gave the land the promised land to Israel he said drive them out that's what he told Moses but then later on he said this he said if they won't be driven out he said utterly destroy them don't leave a one of them alive. Not man, not woman, not boy, not girl. Somebody said, well, preacher, that's awful harsh of God. Well, he tells us why. Back in Genesis 15, he said the iniquities, maybe chapter 16, it's in there. He said the iniquity, the Amorites is not yet full. And here's what he was saying. He's saying a nation and a people can get so wicked that they are beyond redemption as a nation. And America ought to take heed to that. The United States of America get so wicked that God and say, all right, I'm done with America, and it'll be the end of America. And by the way, I can't find America in prophecy. I can't find them. I know some folks try and uh, pull some things out, and I'm not fussing with them, but I don't see us anywhere in there. And you say, what's happened? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm not prophesying. I'm just saying a nation can get so wicked and get so hardened against God that they could be utterly destroyed. And that's what God said to do to these, utterly destroy them. And they were supposed to do that with the Hittites. Yet, here is a man. And Uriah, who should have been dead, he should have been destroyed, his people should have been gone. But here he is, serving God. Here he is, among the people of God. You say, what happened? Well, all I can say is, somewhere along the way, somebody that was a Hittite looked and said, you know what? We've been worshiping the wrong God. We've been worshiping a false God. The God of Israel is a true God. Somebody repented somewhere. And when they repented, they found grace and they found mercy. That's what happened to you and that's what happened to me. We were lost. We were under the sentence of death. We should have been dead and in hell, but somebody told us about Jesus. And we repented and believed the gospel, and God gave us grace. And we've been saved by grace. Amen. You hath he quickened. How? By that grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we have been saved by grace, just like grace was evident in the life of this man, Uriah. So I could say this about Uriah. He should have been dead a long time ago. He should have never been here in this story. 
But here he is fighting alongside of David, serving God, happily serving God, happily married to an Israelite woman, happily serving the God of Israel and the people of Israel. What is that? Grace allowed that. So if God never did anything else for Uriah, God was good enough to him to give him grace. You know what we say sometimes, and it seems like a cliche, and it seems trite, but we say this, if God never does anything else for me, he's done enough for me already that I will serve him the rest of my life. But it is absolutely the truth. You and I ought to be in hell right now. That's where we ought to be. That's where we deserve to be because all have sinned and I'm short of the glory of God. Every one of us ought to be in hell. You say, preacher, I'm not that bad. Yeah, you were that bad. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way in the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible said there's none good, there's none righteous, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh after God. The Bible said he hath concluded all guilty, all the world stand guilty before God. And all of us ought to be in hell, but here we are dressed up in the house of God. You know why? It's because of the amazing grace of God. Thank God for grace. So you know what that tells me? It tells me that everything I do in this life, I don't do it to impress God. I don't do it to get God to love me. I don't do it to get God to thank me. Everything I do in this life as a Christian, I do to say thank you to God for what He's already done for me. Say, preacher, why do you read your Bible? I'm just telling God thank you. Why do you come to church? I'm just saying thank you, Jesus, for saving a wretch like me. Why do you pray? I'm saying thank you. Why do you talk to somebody about Jesus? I'm just saying thank you. That's it. Why do you sing? Why do you preach? Why do you try and live a Christian life? I'm just trying to say thank you to God for all that he's done for me. They were, they were interviewing one day David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, and they said to him, tell us about the great sacrifices you have made in Africa. And he looked at him and he said, sacrifice? What sacrifice? And then he said this, how can it be called a sacrifice that which is in a small way trying to pay back a great debt? So why should I serve the Lord? You ought to serve and be faithful because he's been good to you. you. Say, oh, preacher, well, I've been through this and I've been through that. Yeah, I've been through a few things, too. But you know what I'll never go through? I'll never go through hell. I'll never know the wrath of God. So I ought to just serve him because he's been so good to me. I ought to be faithful. You ought to be faithful. You say, oh, preacher, my heart's broke. Just be faithful anyway. God's been good to you. He saved your soul. He got a place reserved for you in heaven, uh, an inheritance that fadeth not away. So just be, just be faithful because of grace. It matters because of grace. Then not only does it matter because of grace, our faithfulness matters because of grief. Two kinds of grief in the world, two kinds of grief. There is grief that I suffer. And grief that I cause. Now grief that I suffer is better than grief that I cause. Because grief that I cause always has some guilt with it. But I'll have to suffer some grief through this time. And we look at this passage. We might look at Uriah and say, boy, he suffered. Did he? Did he really suffer? You know what he did? Uriah went out and fought the battle. He went out and fought. Nobody forced him to fight. He went out and fought. He joined himself to David with those mighty men. And he fought the battle. Apparently, he did what he loved to do. And he went home to be with God. Here's what the Bible said. I wrote down this verse. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, the righteous perish. The righteous perish and no man layeth the heart. And merciful men are taken away. Now, listen to this. None considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. I want you to think about the things that Uriah missed. 
when he went home to be with God. He went to paradise. I like to imagine him going down to paradise. Abraham's bosom is what's called in the Bible. And I'm, I like to imagine him walking in there one day and, and, uh, Abram, he, he nudges Sarah and said, uh, Uriah's here. And they look at old Uriah and said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm not sure. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I'm not sure what happened. I'm just doing what I love to do, serving my God, serving my king, serving my country, serving my family, and here I am. That's a pretty good way to go home. Pretty good way to go. Leave like that. And so I'm thinking about Uriah. You say, what happened to him? Well, he left without, without hearing. As far as I know, he never heard what they did. Never heard about it. Now, David heard some things, didn't he? David heard when they came in and said, the baby's dead. David heard when they came in and said, your daughter Tamar been been molested by her by her half-brother. David heard it when they came in and said that Absalom ha- has killed has killed Amnon. David heard it when they came in and said, Absalom is coming to kill you and take the kingdom. David heard some terrible things, didn't he? Uriah never heard those. Not only did he leave without hearing, he left without hating. What would have happened if he had heard? He'd probably got full of hatred and bitterness. But he never did hate. Now, David was surrounded by hatred. The Bible said that that what happened between Tamar and Amnon, the Bible said after Amnon did what he did, he hated her. And then the Bible said that for two years, Absalom couldn't speak yea, good or evil to Absalom because he hated him. And then Absalom hated his father and wanted him dead. David was surrounded by hatred. And then he left without halting. He left with a clean testimony. But David messed up his testimony. He ruined his testimony with his family. He ruined his testimony with his friend, Joab. He ruined his testimony with his foes. Here's what Nathan said to him. He said, he said, God hath put away thy sin. Howbeit by this thou hast given great occasion and the enemies of God to blaspheme. So here is David. Somebody said, well, preacher, Uriah got the short end of the stick. Did he? No, sound me like he got the best end. He went home, be, he went home to paradise while David suffered the consequences of his sin. You say, well, I'll tell you what, preacher. I'll tell you one thing. So and so wronged me. So and so did that, did this, and I'm hurting and they're just getting by. No, nobody, look at me. Nobody, nobody ever gets by with sin. Nobody ever does. You can hide it. You can cover it. You can explain it away. You can excuse it. But the Bible said, be sure your sin will find you out. And Paul said in the New Testament, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. If he sow to his flesh, he shall of his flesh reap corruption. If he sow to the Spirit, he shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So David or Paul said to us, you're going to reap what you sow. Nobody has ever got away with sin. And nobody ever will. You say, preacher, well, they got away. No, they didn't get away with it. They didn't get away with it. You don't know what's going on in their heart and mind right now. But one day they'll give an answer to God. Sin has to be answered for. And so here we have these two men, Uriah and David. Looks like they made a fool of him. But it looks like to me he came out on top. He went home clean. He went home happy. He went home satisfied. He went to Abraham's bosom. Here's David back there suffering through all of these things because the chickens have come home to roost. The skeletons have come out of the closet, sin has worked its way around. So it did matter that Uriah was faithful. He didn't know the grief that David knew. Here's the last thing. It mattered because of grace. It matters because of grief. And it matters because of the gospel. You need to be faithful. And I need to be faithful because of the gospel. You say, what does that have to do with Uriah? You know, there's some things said that we could say about Uriah that I think are interesting things. Now, remember Bible numerology. Every number in the Bible has a meaning. 
What is the number right next to Uriah's name in our in the first text we read in Second Samuel 23? It's the number 30 and 7. That's an interesting number because 30 in the Bible is the number of dedication and especially the dedication of Christ. And then seven in the Bible is the number of completion and perfection. And so if you find the number 30 and seven, somewhere in the near vicinity, there ought to be somebody or something that is a good representation of the dedication of Christ. Well, guess who's right next to number 37? Uriah. He's right there. Is he a good picture of the dedication of Christ? Well, let's think about it. I think I could be correct if I said this tonight, that Uriah died to cover the sin that others had committed. Would that be right? Okay. How about this? I think we could say of Uriah that he was forsaken in his death. I think that's right. I think we could say with him that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. I think we could say that about him. I think we could say, we might could say that his own familiar friend lifted up his heel against him. I think that'd be true, wouldn't it? We might even say this. He was wounded in the house of his friends. We might even say that. Now, you know who all those verses are really about. They're all about Jesus. So you know who Uriah looks like in this passage? He looks like the Lord. He's a picture of Christ. He's a reminder of the Lord Jesus. Now, listen to me. You know what? When you're faithful, even in the midst of trouble, even with a broken heart, you know who you look like? You look like the Lord. And isn't that what we're after? To be a representation of Christ? To be an ambassador of Christ? That someone might see Christ in us? Isn't that what we're after? It's not that we want to be seen. It's we want them to see Him in us. Christ in us. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So we want to look like Him. And that's what Uriah looks like. You know, somebody would say, Preacher, wow, the devil give me so much trouble while I'm going through this, this difficulty. He just on me all the time. You know why? Maybe it's because, not only because you, you feel a little bit weak and you feel a little bit overwhelmed, but maybe the reason he's on you so hard the enemy's on you so hard when your heart is broken is because he knows it's the best opportunity you may ever have in your life to be a great testimony for christ because when everything's going good people look at you and say yeah you remember you remember what the devil said about job remember what satan said he said that job serve god for not you put a hedge about it said you protect him you blessed him sure he's going to serve you but he said take that hedge down Let me have a crack at him. He'll curse you to your face. And you know what? The Lord said, okay. Okay. Let's save his life. And you know what happened? When Job was standing there in the, or sitting there in the ashes, in that ash heap, and his life caved in around, remember what he said? He said, the Lord gave and the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible said in all this, Job sinned not with his lips. And you know what? God was glorified. And you say, well, preacher, I've been hurt. I've been, I've been wrong. This has happened. That has happened. Okay, well, let's do this. Let's just be faithful to him and see if we can't be a representation, a picture of Christ in a lost world that needs to know who Jesus is. I'm going to be faithful. I'm just going to be faithful. The Bible said, moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found Faithful. God's not interested in your success. God's not interested in all those other things. Here's what he's interested in, that you and I would be faithful. Stay by the stuff. Stay at it. Keep going. Be faithful. Even when our heart's broken, be faithful. And here's what the world will have to say. They'll say, There's something. they got something we don't have. 
They got something we don't know about. They got something we're not aware of. They, they're going on in the midst of the trouble. There's something real about what they have. I'll tell you what Uriah teaches us. He teaches us that faithfulness matters. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Mama's coming to the piano. It's important that we be faithful. It's important that we stay by the stuff. You say, preacher, I've been hurt. Yeah, I know. Stay by the stuff. Say, preacher, I've been let down. I know. Be faithful. Say, preacher, I can't see where it's done any good. I know sometimes it looks that way. Be faithful. Preacher, it looks like what I hoped in has is never going to come to fruition. That's okay. Be faithful. Be faithful. God was faithful to you. You be faithful to him. Just stay by the stuff. Somebody's looking. Somebody's watching. Say thank you to God with a life of faithfulness. Now, Father, help us tonight. Help in this invitation. I pray you'd overrule the enemy tonight. And I pray tonight that you work in people's hearts. And I pray tonight, Lord, you'd help us. Somebody with a broken heart, somebody let down, somebody feels as though they've been wronged, and perhaps they have. Lord, I pray they'll be faithful unto you. And I pray you'd help me to remain faithful. And Lord, I pray we'd be known as the faithful. Help us now in Jesus' name I pray.